Hey guys, Ben here. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks off the podcast, three or four I believe, but we're finally back. It feels like longer than what it has been. Um, we've decided that we're going to release the guest segment part of the podcast first tonight. Uh, let us know your thoughts on that. Uh, it went for 35 minutes, so we thought, you know, we'll post the, the guests on the Wednesday and we'll, we'll do the rest of it, the form and uh, all the all the racing chat tomorrow on the Thursday. Uh, this week, we're able to get Pat Comerford on the potty. Um, he's the race caller in Singapore and his story is outstanding. Um, some of the things we've learned in the last half an hour, um, just about his journey, his story, Singapore racing in general, um, going to be a hard guest to top so we hope you enjoy it um and yeah let us know your thoughts on doing uh two podcasts a week the guest segment and then the racing next cheers relentless with absolutely nowhere to go he's going to need a pole vault from there it's Consperanza up in front here's Lim's Kosciuszko giving his head trying to present down the outside was Tiger Raw starting to reel into it and here's Super Impact Super Impact comes off their back but it's Lim's Kosciuszko down past the 150 relentless finally gets out for Jurek this is a thrilling finish in the derby Lim's Kosciuszko relentless on the outside but he's climbed to new summits and he's a Group 1 winner. Lims Kosciuszko goes on to score in the derby, beats home relentless, and Super Impact's run, to bl- run an absolute blinder into third. Well, what a cracking call that was by Pat Comerford, who is the racing broadcaster slash commentator and is the number one man at the Singapore Turf Club. Uh, behind the binoculars and the microphone, Pat, thanks for, thanks for your time. It's much appreciated. Yeah, Ben and Nick, thanks very much, and uh, yeah, great to be along with you. It's uh, it's good to be having a chat with you guys, and uh, yeah, I feel really honoured to be uh, to be joining your podcast. Awesome stuff. So, we'll uh, we'll take it back to the beginning. You're a local boy, I believe. Went to St Burns, which is around the corner from me, and a lot of our listeners uh, will, will know who you are already. Uh, we know the great game manages to to pull people from all different directions, and each person has an interesting story. Can you tell us about your journey into horse racing? It's an interesting one, that's for sure. Uh, I, I've obviously been an avid follower of racing for quite some time and uh, growing up with mum and dad, we used to go to the races all the time at Flemington. Um, mum and dad have had a car park in the members for quite some time, so we used to um, head to the races quite a bit. But as uh, in regards to sort of my entry into racing, it's been a little bit of a different story. I, I don't really come as... Uh, come from a racing background we don't really have any racing members in our family but uh, I actually sort of fell into the role I studied journalism at university and I went to uh, over to the US I came back and then um, did about six months in Melbourne before I got a job as a radio presenter in Alice Springs at a at an FM radio station just a music station and uh, about four months into my time there the race caller at the Alice Springs Turf Club left and the club approached me not because they knew that I'd had any sort of interest in racing. I, I guess they just saw me at the track all the time on a on a weekly basis on my days off, but uh, suggested that because I was a radio presenter, I might have be able to do race commentating. And and they they said, well, we'll give you a one month trial, and and I I did that, and it was very terrible, but it was enough of a pass mark for them to give me the job, and I ended up calling at the Alice Springs Turf Club for nearly two and a half years. Uh, which sort of kick-started my way into racing. And from then, I went to New Zealand for a couple of years. And, um, yeah, fast forward about five years from my first call, I'm, I'm calling here now in Singapore. So it's a, it's been a bit of a r- roller coaster and um, qu- quite amazing at how sort of quickly it's progressed. But I think with COVID and 
the world we live in at the moment, um, that's allowed me to be able to do that. But I'm, I'm obviously very grateful that I've been able to do this because um, I'm living my dream and, and calling it a wonderful location that's obviously internationally renowned now. But um, I, I, I can never not forget my uh, forget my roots, I should say, and where I where I started. And, and, and Alice Springs was that, and it'll always have a very special place in my heart. Yeah, that's awesome. I think Nick might have a question about uh, just elaborating on some of those jobs you've had. Yeah, Pat, just went obviously to land straight into a big gig um, like you found yourself in now. Um, tell us some of the job, jobs that you've sort of had along the way. I know you've probably basically covered a little bit mm. of that, um, but you don't get to the big gig in Singapore mm. with, uh, without hard work. So if you can just elaborate a little bit more on that for us. Yeah, no worries. So look, I um I, I called as I said I called in the Alice Springs Turf Club for for two and a half years, and that was sort of my my way in. Um, whilst doing that, I also sort of produced with uh, through the sponsorship at the club, uh, which was in Parja, aka Channel Nine. Um, we filmed a, a program called the Red Center Racing Review, and that basically gave me an opportunity outside of commentating to be able to sort of get into that presenting aspect with with race calling in australia as you guys probably know it's it's a race to race basis we don't come in until 60 seconds before start time and and sometimes if you're on sky one on a sunday you know they they might not even get to you until like there's about two horses to load so um it's very much just the calling aspect and calling side of it the rest of it is just on course announcing but what this provided me was an opportunity to be able to sort of get enough, get racing content in my resume that that uh, allowed me to sort of uh, show the future employers, whoever they may be, that I can present and I can do that aspect. And um, through that and, and sending off a show reel to New Zealand, I actually ended up getting a job with a TAB Trackside in November of 2019, so four months before sort of COVID really hit the world and. I ended up moving over to Auckland where I was based there for two years and uh, initially I kicked off the job with, with the in- intentions that commentating was going to occur but uh, as we got into that sort of four months in period, March 2020, COVID hit and everything sort of was locked down and as a result, my company went through a, a massive uh, a staff cut, you should say, and as a result, um, our positions weren't uh, really safe we had to re-interview for all our positions I ended up keeping my job but basically the presenting role was just solely presenting um, like you would see on Sky as a sort of race to race presenter Um, I did that for about uh, I'd say a year before commentating really came back into fruition I, I actually was commentating trials in New Zealand every week um, for a number of times, I think I think I worked out. I think I called about two thousand trials in in about eighteen months. It was uh, it was a lot of calling, and we we'd go to in New Zealand, obviously with with a lot of people pin hooking horses overseas, uh, and uh, obviously pin hooking horses back through the sales. They don't really have a lot of these horses go to race, but a lot of them need to trial in New Zealand before they do, just so that they can see what they do. So on Tuesdays, we used to run thirty trials. Um, 12 horse fields off the 12 minutes back to back so you'd start at 10 30 and you'd finish at five and it was just non-stop trials so that was my opportunity to sort of develop my craft I, I sort of fell into the role in Alice Springs but I never really got an opportunity to sort of work on it and get down to the finer details of of commentating and, and providing sort of um, the best product you can and and that 
all that trials calling actually was the best thing that ever happened to me. And um, I ended up calling a, a couple of meetings before I left New Zealand, um, greyhounds, and I did some greyhound calling and also um, some thoroughbred calling. But um, yeah, look, the job opened up in, in, in Singapore. They were looking for someone not only who was enthused in doing the job, but also someone who was probably easy to move around. And me not having a, 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 a long-term partner like a wife and kids and multiple people to move. I think that made me a very attractive commodity to the club and um, they took a chance on me and, yeah, I'm nine months into my job here in Singapore, absolutely loving it and, uh, yeah, it's um, it's amazing. I, I, it's, again, I, once again, i sort of been thrown into the deep end in regards to calling some pretty high-quality races. You know, we race for a million dollars multiple times throughout the year but, um, you know, it's been uh, it's been thrilling, and I'll tell you what, there's no adrenaline rush like it when you're uh, when you've got uh, millions of people listening at the end of your microphone. That's for sure. How good's that? Uh, we know every racing jurisdiction's very different. Um, for instance, I'm pretty correct me if I'm wrong, but Cranji is the only race course they race at in Singapore. Can you just highlight some of the, those key differences be- between a Singapore and Australia? Uh, we know in Hong Kong they only race two times a week. What's it like in Singapore? So Singapore, very similar to Hong Kong, um, well, was very similar to Hong Kong around five to ten years ago. Obviously, with COVID happening here, the club has uh, cut down to one meeting a week. They used to race twice a week here, um, Friday nights and Sundays. Very similar to Hong Kong in regards to they follow that sort of Asian class racing system where you have your stakes grade races and you run your races from sort of class one to class five. Um, in my opinion, since moving here, I think it's a really effective way to race. It's, it, it, gives, it gives horses well into their career an opportunity to be able to um, still win races. Um, I think that it really um, outplays the benchmark system in being able to do that. But um, in regards to Singapore these days, we, we, we race once a week. We race every week for 11 months. Um, basically, like clockwork, we run wow. either Saturday or Sunday, kick off at midday. If it's an 11-race program, the last run's at 5. The second, uh, the, the, If it's a 12-race program, the last at 5.30. We run on the half hour um, all through that time. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's run very, very tight, you know, in regards to those timings. I've, I've spoken to riders here. You know, um, there's a lot of sitting around in Australian racing, you know, 45 minutes between races. Yeah. They have to they have to run to what the, the time that Sky tells them. So if Sky says to a country track, you're running at 4.16, you're running at 5.20, they might have 50 minutes between a race, then 48, then 46. It varies because it depends on when they can fit into the Sky timetable. Whereas here... Mm-hmm. Here it is on the it's it's on the half hour um, like clockwork and for the riders who are riding in twelve race programs and you know it's it's obviously very humid hot conditions to be able to get in way out you don't even, they don't even have time to to wipe their face or have a drink of water because they've got to get their colours on to get out into the mounting yard for the next um, that the, the, t- yeah. the turnover of races here is so high that. The runners for the following race, as soon as the runners leave the mounting yard and go through the tunnel to the track, the runners for the next race come into the mounting yard to be saddled up. So it's like very, um, very strict and very tight. Efficient. Yeah. Sounds a lot more efficient than Sydney. <laughs> exactly at the moment. So <laughs> just just like clockwork. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> now look, it's um it's it's run 
it's run very very sharply here um, and it's and it's a credit to the club in how they do it but uh, at the same time it is it is done because um, with such a high turnover of races you need to get over you need to be able to get through them um, and as much as racing is a big thing here um, obviously in Asia the turnover is massive um, you, you yeah. th- that that um, that ability to be able to get as many races out get as many betting opportunities out for punters to be able to get involved in um, turnover is king and, and and we're starting to see that in Australia now where um, you know with the influence of bookmakers in racing turnover is everything turnover basically in this day and age is what keeps the lights on and also what will continue to drive racing in a time where we are starting to see racing be questioned morally um in, in regards to that by mm-hmm. by the by the woke culture as you could say that we we have you know um but but as long as there is uh as long as bookies are get, getting opportunities to be able to provide races and, and provide that turnover well that's a major driver in, in what's going to keep the keep the sport going in in multiple areas around the world yep supply and demand we love it we do love it um could you just elaborate pat on sort of what the lifestyle is like so obviously Racing in Australia and obviously Melbourne, we race pretty much every day mm-hmm. and you hear about jockeys having to to try and really juggle that work-life balance. Obviously, that is not the case mm-hmm. over in Singapore with them only racing once a week. You, as a race caller, what's what's your sort of lifestyle like outside of racing and is there, you know, is there a good escape? Yeah, look, there is. Um, moving here during COVID times was a little bit tough as we were sort of quite restricted in what we could do. And, and when I moved here to Singapore, there was um, it was still pretty closed up. Um, it's really started to open up now. It's a beautiful place to live. Um, the the, the culture is amazing. The food is, is incredible. Um, from a living perspective, it is quite an expensive place to live um, in regards to rent. But, but at the same time, um, as you said, with us only racing once a week, there is a really good opportunity for you to be able to get that work-life balance here. Um, and I think that that is a really amazing part about the place. I can't speak for the racing participants. Um, they obviously are riding track work six mornings a week. Um, it, it's pretty full-on for them. And uh, for the for the younger younger guys the younger apprentices the malaysian boys who who are here um who are you know from this part of the world they they tend to um be obviously on the lighter side um you'll find a lot of our asian riders of asian descent will, will be able to ride at those very light weights a lot of the expat riders over here um they obviously struggle with their weight a little bit more so uh at the same time as much as they're riding track work they're doing that because they want to be able to to lose that weight um, that helps them stay light, but obviously with the humidity over here, um, that also does assist uh, riders in being able to stay at a, at a respectable respectable weight. Um, as a commentator here, my work week basically relies around the the the, the meeting on a Saturday. We will race um, on either on a Saturday or a Sunday. Say, for example, at the moment, we're racing predominantly Sunday. So nominations will come out on a Monday the next day um, in the evening for the following meeting. We race, uh, we, we, yeah, we, we trial on a Tuesday and Thursday. 
nominations come out on Wednesday. So I'm, I'm just uh, finished up at work now. I'm doing uh, the selections and our scripting for our TV show that we host on a Thursday, much like um, you being Victorian boys, get on. Um, well, yep. We would do something similar to that. It's a preview show called Track Talk that we film. And um, that basically just looks into the weekends racing ahead. So we do that. And a lot of the week is preparing and scripting for not only that show, but also for our race day. Um, which, as I said to you, it's, it, races are off the half hour. There's lots of racing, so it's it's basically scripting it to make sure that we've got everything covered, and um, not only us, but also our producers, our director on the day, and all our TOs and cameramen operators know exactly what's going on, so we don't have any um, issues when when the broadcast goes around, and, and and usually it's it's smooth sailing. Wow! And we know, uh, as you touched on preparation. We know race calling is quite a unique craft, mm. and I'm sure plenty goes into it. But the couple of times that I've spoke to a couple of race callers, I'm very surprised to hear them say that a lot of the time when they're studying fields, it's simply like a flashcard exam mm. type of study, and they'll they'll study the field quickly, and then they'll memorize it. How do you best like to go about it? Yeah, so look, when it comes to when it comes to analysis of the race, um, very much all that is done before. Um, I'll have a glance of the fields and stuff the night before, but um, I agree. I, I think the, the biggest the biggest tool that a race caller has to have is recall and and has to be able mm. to crunch all that knowledge into their mind within ten minutes. Uh, it's it's a big thing here in Asia. We have a lot of syndicate horses. A lot of horses that run with basically the same name. So, for example, a big one here in Singapore is is obviously the Limbs Stable. Um, we've got probably yeah. twenty five or thirty Limbs horses on the book on the island, um, and you know I might have four, or five or six of those running through the day. Um, you, you can't memorize one horse's name to a particular set of colours because you're going to have eight horses running in those colours through the day. So. You, everyone says, you know, you. I think Matt, I think Matty Hill said at one time. He said you've got to sort of be half stupid to race call as well because you've got to be able to memorize the field and then forget it and start all over again. So, um, yeah, it is a very, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very, uh, it's it, look, it, it it doesn't come naturally. You have to train your brain to be able to do it. I really struggled with it in Alice Springs when I first started because obviously my brain wasn't used to it. I, it took me 10 minutes to remember fields of eight, you know, that were going around at um, Alice Springs. Whereas I think the doing the, doing the trials in New Zealand was my, as I said to you before, was my biggest helper in regards to my craft because I had to crunch, I had to crunch learn fields of 12 off the tw- every 12 minutes for, you know, for seven hours on a Tuesday. And look, your brain was like scrambled egg after it. But, you know, we, we didn't know the riders, we didn't know the col- colours, um, everything we had to record down as we first saw them going to the gates and they'd be sort of off and you'd have to learn them in about three minutes. So, um, that was a big help. And now um, that has allowed me to be able to focus more on the form, the analysis and being able to, because obviously we do the broadcast. We, we come in, you know, 18 minutes before the race and myself and my fellow presenter and he, uh, Scott Bailey, who commentates here as well. Um, we do um, the full preview, mounting yard preview, cover them from 18 minutes out all the way until they get to the gates and jump. It's a consistent broadcast for, uh, for you know, over six hours. So, it's um it's pretty intense and it goes for a really long time but um 
yeah, you've you've got a. I, I can sort of I can sort of get a t- get to a field of twelve now, and I can probably get I can have one or two looks at them and and learn the field in about forty five seconds. But that just come, but but that just <laughs> but that just nuts. comes. But look, that just comes with practice. Yeah, that just comes with practice. And I, I, look, I probably do more than than your sort of high class callers would do. I, I've sat in the box with Matty Hill and watched him do it, and you know he's had a com- he's had a call with me. Uh, you know, a, I've had a coffee with him in the box at Flemington and had a conversation with him until about you know 30 seconds before and he says oh just give me a second he turns around he's had one look at him going to the gates and he turns around and he and he, and he calls you know he calls a field of 16 around 2200 meters at flemington and you just you just sit there and you go well, he didn't even look at them the entire time like but that's just yeah, that is just just shows mate and i'll tell you now and i'll say it he is the best in the world and he's he's yeah he's the gun he's the he's, he's the goat oh. He's even exploring into other uh, other sports now. It's not just race calling, you know. He's, he commentates the footy, and obviously, when the Olympics come around, he was doing uh, doing different sports there. So, mm. yeah, it's definitely a gift. Sometimes I can't even remember the colour of my silks of the horse that I stacked, <laughs> let alone the whole field. So I, I do take my hat off to you guys. It's a pretty special. Yeah, talent no, he's good. Have. No, Maddie, um, Maddie, will, Maddie will be uh, a very good football commentator. He's um, very good at what he does. So um, I, I think he'll transition into footy, and obviously keep doing racing. But I, I think his presence in footy will be be around for quite some time. He's a, he's very good at what he does. He's a he's the, he's the next. I reckon he's the next Bruce McAvaney. He's just going to be a one that he does a little bit of everything. Well, I suppose that's the little the little edge up that he'll have on Richo. Richo probably can't call a race where Matty Hill can. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Uh, you're next, mate. I am next. So, one horse Australians, obviously. <laughs> sorry. One horse that the Aussies have definitely starting to get to see a little bit more, Inferno. Mm-hmm. Um, he was obviously massive in Singapore, and he hit the ground running, and he had a fair big spruik on him when he came to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, is he one of the best that has probably ever raced over there, if not close to? He'd be up there. Um yeah, it's it's hard. It's yeah. a hard one. Um, look, I, I'm adamant that Cliff Brown took um, took the the Inferno back to from Singapore to Australia because he thought the Inferno was the horse that was going to put him on the map. And I uh, look as much as he's gone well, and he, you know he's 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 done well in his racing so far. I don't think that he's had as much success as they initially thought he would have. Um, that's just me being you know giving you my honest opinion, but. Look, it's, it's it's a different type of racing up here. It's a different style of racing, and and, and horses either gel here or they don't. Um, uh, there's been a few here that I think in recent times that are still racing in Australia. That you know, I, looking back, you just you you wonder if they stayed around in Australia or they, uh, stayed around in Singapore. You know how far they would have gone. You know, I'm talking about the Inferno, um, Count of Monte Cristo, who's now racing with Travis Dowdle. Um, Arameo was racing with Chris Waller. He's now gone across to Sam Kavanagh and been sold by Aramco Racing. So, yeah, it's a hard one because he the inferno is easily up there with i reckon in the last sort of 20 years he'd be in the top three i think you've got to say that the best singapore horse of all time in in the recent times would have to be rocket man um that was trained by pat shaw probably around 10 years ago he won races in hong kong he won races in dubai um he won races in japan he he was you know he was arguably one of the the great horses him and robbie Fra- robbie Frad rode him for a very long time and 
Um, I think if you talk to anyone from Singapore racing and who's been following it the long time, they'll probably tell you that Rocketman was the greatest horse here, you know, as long as, you know, people have been alive in Singapore. But look, the Inferno was a, was right up there. He's, you know, he's, he's top three material in Singapore for sure. Well, we definitely haven't seen the best of him yet. Hopefully this preparation might be the one that makes him. But mm, he, at the moment, sure. he's a victim of his yeah. own race shape. He has been a bit unlucky uh, a couple of times, so we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, so last week, a little bit uh, coincidental, you celebrated your birthday on the day you called the Group 1 Singapore Derby. Uh, happy birthday. I imagine it was a great day and a satisfying day, given you, you went so well with the call. What can you tell us more about that day and, more importantly, the celebrations into the night? <laughs> yeah, no, it was good fun. Um, we, uh, we, we enjoyed ourselves that weekend. I had a few few mates up including my brother up from uh, from melbourne um who who joined up here for, for derby day it was um it was a really good day out and um i think the race couldn't have panned out any better with with limbs kosciuszko going on to score who um i think he made he's now 10 from 12 so he's been a pretty awesome horse for singapore racing in recent times there was a few hard luck stories super impact was you know back on the fence and he he got out when it was all too late but He's got some nice racing ahead of him. I think after he gets out over a bit more ground, he looks like a good, 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 uh, good gold cup horse. The hard luck story was relentless. He was back in the field. He really struggled there, and um, he just couldn't get a run. Vlad Jurek finally got him out, but it was just all too late. So um, he added a little bit of an intense end to the to the uh, to the race, which was really good, but. Uh, nevertheless, as for the race being on my birthday, yeah, look, my second Group 1 call here in Singapore and couldn't have asked for a better birthday present, I guess, you know, being able to sort of continue on calling the races at sort of the highest level. Look, they are domestic Group 1s, but at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, they're still the Group 1 race here in Singapore and uh, the highest quality race that we, we do have on offer, so... To be able to call call a race like that, you know, on your birthday, it's um, it's it's pretty good. And yeah, the celebrations did go into well into Sunday evening, and um, yeah, a bit bit of a sore head on Monday, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. They they call Group Ones here in Australia that are probably uh, benchmark ninety. So there's no shame <laughs> we, in that. We won't open that. <laughs> exactly. We won't open that can of worms. Um, obviously, exactly. Pat. Obviously, you're close with a lot of jockeys and trainers, so we understand if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Give this information out, even though they're probably not going to be listening to the Racing Previews podcast. No. <laughs> um, have you got a favourite horse or a favourite jockey that you like? Um, a horse might be, you know, um, looking at them or it might be um, just calling because if they've got a good name, you like calling them in races. Is there anything mm. that you want to elaborate on? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I look, obviously, the horses that I own, I'm, I've got a bit of a soft spot for. Shakespeare, obviously, won on 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 uh, Wednesday at Sandown, and sort of having to sort of having picked him out in New Zealand and sort of brokered the deal to get him to Australia. So he's always going to have a soft spot in in my heart. And um, another horse that I've got in in Darwin called Asahi Bearing, who's a who's a mare that I bought off Bob Chalice in Victoria. She's um she's won about seven or eight for us now. So those two horses will always have a pretty special spot in my heart. But um, as for looks, um, I, I, look, I think I think in regards to not not on ability, but I think in regards to looks, you probably can't go past horses that are like you know your sort of Palomino types, like Brooklyn Hustle or Mighty Boss, who ended up going on obviously mm-hmm. to win at a big price um, in the Caulfield Guineas years ago. But, um, yeah, I, I think 
I think the best looking horse in, in Australia these days would probably be Brooklyn Hustle, but I just don't know where all this punting money's coming for for it every start when it gets absolutely <laughs> slammed in. But, um, oh, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I think look, one to one to that's a be- beautiful horse to look at. I'd say Brooklyn Hustle, but um, in regards to jockeys, favourite riders, um, I've got a couple. Of, I've had a couple of rules over the journey. Um, obviously, um, can't punt really now, but. You know, when I was in Australia, like um, Justin Stanley, when he rides in Brisbane, um, when he stays in Brisbane, he's definitely one to follow because he can take a full book in the bush, but he goes, um, when he stays in Brisbane for one or two, he's one to follow. Um, uh, Michelle Hagley and Kira Yule, two female riders that I really like. Um, Michelle Hagley since finished up, but uh, over in WA, they're probably the two that, um, you know, the two that I would follow um, if they're riding in the, in the bush. Um, Mick Lane, Damien Lane's father, don't mind, he, don't mind his horses over in WA. As for Northern Territory, um, I think Jared Todd, Gary Clark, they're the two that you've, that's the combination that you just follow wherever you go. Um, Sydney, uh, don't ask me. I don't, don't, don't really follow there. To be honest, uh, like I watch the big races and stuff like that. But um, I'm a proud Victorian, so uh, Victorian racing's uh, all the go for me. Um, I'd say in Victoria, if I had to pick one um, to follow, I'd say I'd say it'd have to be Billy Egan when he rides for Paddy Payne. Like I know my horse, that was my horse today, and it won. But um, uh, you know, he, he's obviously a massive influence on the Plumpton operation and, and rides a lot of their horses' work, so he just knows how they all tick. And, um, yeah, when, when you see B. Egan and P. Payne in the, uh, in, in the form book, definitely one to follow. And um, when they hit those tracks like Mildura and stuff like that, wow, well, well, you, uh, you've just got to, just got to uh, yeah, butter up. He's definitely a favourite of ours at Racing Previews. And uh, Beautiful. hopefully he's got a big spring in store. Happy days. 100%. All right. Well, listen, uh, we'll move on to the listener questions now. Mm-hmm. There's, I think there's five of them. Oh, wait. Two of them, <laughs> two of them come from, uh, two of them come from your brother. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. So, Mika, um, he's actually the reason we're here. Uh, I met up with him a couple of weeks ago and he's getting into his own podcast. So, I'll give him a little plug with his um, MMA, which their um, Instagram page is unbelievable. It's got that many followers. So, Hopefully, when their stuff kicks off, it's all good. Uh, he goes, I'll, I'll just quick fire him. He, the first one is, who's your favorite brother? And the second one is, <laughs> would like to know more about Pat's relationship with the horse Desert Warrior Dune Buggy. No uh, idea what that way. means. You'll have to explain. Yeah, okay. So, um, the first one, Michael. Um, Michael's a full-time pain in the ass, so it'd have to be Tom. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, I'll do, like, him, I'll do him dirty there and... And I'm all, and the reason I'm doing him dirty as well is because he's brought up this second question. So Dune Buggy was a, a horse in Alice Springs who, very well known for his racing pattern of getting about thirty lengths off the leader, you know, um, past sort of the eight hundred meters in a, in a in a mile race, and storm late to win, you know, in these sort of triumphant races. You know, he was almost out of camera view by the time they got to the corner, and he just come down the outside and storm home and. Um, basically, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of calls early. I think I got a bit too ahead of myself and absolutely screamed dune buggy home one day down the outside of the fence. He was like scraping the, scraping the outside rail and got home and yeah. won and got there. And I was like, 
it was just yeah, it was a, it was an amazing win. But I, I I went a bit I went a bit bunter in the call and uh, and and I think a few isolated the audio and uh, it ended up on a few TikToks. <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we might have we might have to we might have to dig that We'd up. We'd have to stage. dig out the archives and find it. <laughs> All right, I've got two. One from one of our boys um, who actually lives in Singapore, Gerp. Yep. He follows his Singapore racing quite heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his plan for the upcoming future and any ideas on the best way forward for Singapore racing? It's a hard one. Um, as for my future, I, I don't see myself going anywhere. I'm loving my job here and um, I could see myself doing a, a long-term stint here. And, and like I told the club that when I started and I, and I meant it 100%. You know, this is um, you know, a really big opportunity for me. And, and um, yeah, look, it's good that we've obviously had a question from someone who is interested in where it's going. Because, look, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this place was on par with Hong Kong. You know, they were they were flying. Um the, the prize money in here was was out of control and you know it, it's no surprise and it's it's obviously as you can tell that the the racing is not where it once was um, I think that's actually given a person like me with with as limited experience as I have an opportunity to be able to get into a role like this so for me I'm sort of you know reaping the benefits of it but at the end of the day we are getting into this period now where everything's opening back up um, and we need to figure out a way forward as much as um, the club is obviously in a very um, uh, interesting state in the fact that you know they, they want to be able to, to, to push the club forward in the right direction. I think they are doing plenty of good things at the moment, which is, which is really great. Um, one of the things that I think I would love to see um, back in, I'd love to see us get back to two meetings a week. I think that would be fantastic to see um, mm. Singapore racing come back and, and get back to, you know, doing Friday nights. I think Friday nights are a wonderful. Uh, I think they've just been synonymous with Singapore racing for, for such a long time. But in order to be able to do that, we need to be able to get horses back on the island. We've, this this facility is built for two thousand horses. We've only got I think just over seven hundred now. Um, about three or four years ago, we probably they probably had about 1,300, 1,400, somewhere around the 1,500 marker. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to field two meetings a week for 11 months of the year when you don't have um, the, the horses to be able to field those, you know, those fields. So I think the, the way forward, as much as it is, obviously the, the club is doing a massive effort to be able to sort of get back get back to where we're going but I think we also need to um, be able to find out ways to be able to get people to invest in in bloodstock and bring horses here to race because um, if we don't have the horses we don't have the way to be able to get the back to two meetings a week um, and yeah look it's, it's it's a really hard one because it, that's probably just only one facet of it but um Put it this way: they are there are there are plenty of positive steps in the right direction, and I'm hoping that we, you know, we'll, that the public and people watching racing in Singapore will start to see them in the next sort of six to twelve months come into come into effect. Beautiful. All right, and we've just got one last question from Jackie Martin: Who is your I'm favourite not... jockey to mm-hmm. come oh, yeah, out yeah. of your old school? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think Jack Martin would have to be the one. We've had uh, we've had some good ones uh, over the journey. Reese McLeod was obviously one that uh, was was a St. Bernard's boy back in the day, and um, 
And Chris Caserta was obviously in the year above us, unfortunately, um, tragically passing away recently. But um, Jackie's been a good mate of mine. He's actually over in Singapore at the moment. I caught up with him the other night, so I'll have to say Jack Martin. But uh, but there's been plenty of good ones over the journey. And, uh, and, yeah, it's been a bit of a racing factory over the journey in regards to trainers. We've got two trainers here in Singapore who actually are ex-St. Bernard's boys as well in Tim Fitzsimmons and Dan Maas. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a few there's a few Essendonians over this way um, uh, applying their craft in, in whatever way that is at Karanji. Not just a footy factory, a racing factory <laughs> as well. Uh, Joshy Ryan, he'll he'll uh, crucify me if I don't ask this one. Mm-hmm. How much? You, so you got to dig the boots in your brother again here. Unfortunately, he says, "How much of a soft cock is your youngest brother?" Yeah, he's, he's pretty he's, he's pretty shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeps with a light. Sleep. He sleeps with a light on that kid. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Nah, that is grouse. Yeah. All right, nah, I reckon that's all we got time for. Nah, cheers. Thank you very much Mate, for having me on. You've been, you've been absolutely brilliant with your time. Um, we've learnt heaps. I reckon I might even, I might even post this as a singular podcast, given it's gone for a tick over half an hour. <laughs> we'll get it done. We'll get it out tonight, and everyone can listen. Nah, so, brilliant. thank you, Pat. Um, yeah, we've barely had to speak, so it's been it's been awesome. <laughs> Cheers, boys. That's uh, that's usually that's most conversations with me. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks, mate.